Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Gali, who takes us through her extensive list of self-love practices. Enjoy. Hey, Gali. It's lovely to have you here. Hello, Joachim. It is very lovely indeed. Yes. So as is my custom, I will tell my audience who you are to me, how we met, and then you can maybe introduce me in your own way after that. So Gali and I met in Berlin for the first time, and I think it was about two years ago. I'm very foggy with dates. Um, Gali is part of this international network called Sandbox that I'm also part of. And that quite a few of my guests so far have been part of, really. And when I was in Berlin, I had tickets to my favorite dance company in the world, which was um, Rosas by Andres Kersmaker, Belgian company that I've had the pleasure with to actually um, dance with or, well, sing and dance with at some point in the past. But they had a new piece based on the Brandenburgse Concerti of Bach. And then I asked if anyone wanted to join me and Gali was very excited to join me for this performance in Berlin. And then we did that and it, it was a lot of fun. I remember we had a really nice conversation as well afterwards. And then since then we stayed in touch and every time I'm in Berlin, we go for a coffee or for dinner and we have a nice conversation. That's Gali. <laughs> Yes, I also had the, the same story in my memory, um, but because you already told it, I'm going to supplement <laughs> it with, the, with what happened next is mm. um, during that conversation after the Roses concert, uh, we were talking about our life and what we are uh, up to doing and Joachim shared with me how he changed uh, his life course and um, started, um, started building his life in a more conscious way. And, um, and I found this uh, story very inspiring. And that's why I invited Joachim to host an inspirational dinner on this topic, which was uh, an event in the Sandbox community um, where Joachim, I don't remember exactly how it was called. I think it was something like designing the life you want or mm, yeah, some, possible. Some, something like this. And uh, yeah, I thought that um, that evening was very beautiful and definitely very inspiring to hear how drastically you changed um, your path. And since then, um, I, I found very um, inspiring to, to see what you're up to and always discuss with you my ideas and, and what I have. And I always find that Joachim brings a nice and interesting view on something that I didn't think about before. And one thing that I wanted to think, so what was the most impactful lesson that I learned from Joachim? It was when I was um, going to quit my job 
And I was extremely nervous of how do I preserve the relationship and everything um, and how I do it as a farewell dance, we called it. Um, and I remember how um, you told me that um, you cannot control the outcome and what the other people will feel. What you can control is how you perform. And since then, I've used that lesson many, many times in, in other situations, and I'm very grateful for it and all the other uh, wise lessons that you taught me. Thank you so much, Kali. That's wonderful to hear. And well, I have to say the conversation we're having today is in some ways a kind of an exponent of that. I'm still on the path of improving my life and my experience of life. And I've come to believe in the past years that the biggest improvements lie in exploring the relationship I have with myself and how I show up to myself and how underdeveloped that relationship was really in all those years. I worried a lot about my relationship with other people and how to navigate the world from that perspective. But I realized at some point that in order to truly have a great life, I needed to have an awesome relationship with myself as the only person that I will always be in a relationship with. And so I wonder when, when I mention this to you, this relating to self concept, um, what is it that comes up for you? How do you relate to that? Hmm. Yeah. When I, when I was thinking about the relating to self concept, so for me, it's really about, I'm very much in my head, like all the time I spend thinking about something, building logical chains, I don't know, analyzing something very much uh, in my head. And what happens to me is that I often forget what my body wants and how my body feels overall. So for me, relating to self is really attending to my needs of the whole body and really uh, feeling the feelings that arise, this is, this is, I think, the best way I can define to relating to self and honoring those needs. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, there's two things there that I think are very important is one, this focus on the body, on the, on the complete being, not just the mind. And then the other is giving space and honoring feelings that arise feelings that are there that are real right so i'm i'm really interested in since you you say that you are mostly in your head and you know building these logical chains how is it that you get back to your body do you have any kind of like specific practices or things you do to get in touch with your body um yeah i do i actually so i i developed uh, a few self-care practices uh, through uh, 30-day challenges so a few years ago i started doing them and um i basically i picked uh, things that i thought would be interesting or useful for me and then tried them for 30 days and some of them um, stuck and some of them i um, i never got used to and so now i have a very well-developed routine um, so every morning when I wake up, I really take time for myself because I work late hours and, um, most of my clients are in the U S so evenings are usually chaotic. So I make sure that my morning is really for me. And, um, I definitely always get an eight hour sleep. 
um, then when I wake up, the first thing I do, um, right next to my uh, bed, there is a um, there is a gratitude journal. So I start with the with the three questions. Um, one is uh, what am I grateful for today? Um, the second one is what would make today great. To really think about the intentionally of what I want to achieve today or whom do I want to see and um, yeah, some to make some plans that are outside of work as well. And then the final one is a positive affirmation. I am, and then I, I usually fill in there something I probably struggle with <laughs> and I want to get better at, and I project myself being that uh, person or, um, yeah, having those qualities. Um, so that's the first routine. Then um, after I get up, I go on my meditation pillow. And I sit there for usually 10 minutes, um, listening to a guided meditation. Um, it depends. I use different apps. So there is not a specific one that, that uh, I prefer the most, but I like it to be a guided meditation. And definitely Joachim's meditations are very good for starting your day. Uh, <laughs> and then um, afterwards, I um, I do, um, I have a different, um, so I listen to my body actually, um, and I decide which type of sport routine do I want to do, um, because um, depending on the cycle, on the menstrual cycle, the body feels very different and how, uh, how much, um, how much intensity I want and can handle. So, uh, listening to, to that and also depending how I worked out, uh, yesterday, I decide, uh, which uh, sport routine I'm going to do. And I have a, actually this one is a Nike training app. They have very, they have different, um, different sport exercises there. And then I decided whether it's stretching or I go for a run. Um, yeah. And afterwards I, I, I go to shower and, uh, put all the creams and everything I want. And probably about one and a half hours later, <laughs> I'm slowly starting my day at my computer. Wow. So this is so rich. There is so much to dive in there. I love it. Um, the first thing I want to ask is, you mentioned that you learned some of these routines through 30 day challenges that you felt attracted to. And then you said that some of them stuck and others didn't. And I'm actually really interested to hear about the, the ones that didn't work out. What was it about the routines that didn't work for you or mm. what were they? So there was a, one was sugar free challenge. <laughs> I actually did it for half a year. It stuck for half a year. <laughs> And then, but I love sugar. <laughs> and then when I went to travel, I was like, I can't be traveling and not tasting all these desserts in different countries. So I, I just gave up that. And I decided the life is too short for, for, uh, for giving up all your uh, little sins. Um, so that one didn't stick. And uh, there was another one, which I think is, is still is such a good one, is going to bed before 10 uh, p.m., um, but I am a night owl and I end up having calls. I mean, now I end up having calls until 10 PM. So it's just impossible to, to, to do it. But yeah, I would love to, to come back to that one. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. 
And then if I recap your, your morning routine that you use to check in with your body, so basically it's get enough sleep, gratitude, meditation, and then sports. Wonderful. And is there anything that you do during the day to keep the awareness of where your body is at during the mind work? Um, this is definitely a weak spot. Um, so I, I do, I do take time for lunch, um, and a coffee after lunch. And I actually recently bought a very nice, uh, coffee machine. So while I enjoy that coffee, I definitely check in with my body and feel into it. But afterwards, um, to be honest, <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but, uh, the whole day I, the rest is just fully in my, in my, in my head. And the only time when I actually check in with my body is, um, for example, when I am, uh, working with a coach, we work with a leadership coach at work and he starts the coaching sessions with, uh, three, four count breath, and then asking you how you feel. And it's three unarguables. So, um, you say, um, how you, what sensation you're having in the body, what emotion you're having and the thought you're having. And this is uh, basically the only thing that, that brings me back to my body. And uh, I do the sessions about once a week. And that's when I discover, oh, my jaw is clenched, my back hurts or whatever else was happening. Usually it's some negative sensation that I ignored for many hours. Um, yeah, that's... Um... Well... I think that's a beautiful practice and there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to do that just on your own every day or even a couple of times a day. Right. Um, one of the things that I've tried is to set reminders on my phone to just have a little alarm go off or something. And then I know because I'm also the kind of person who once I dive into something, it's an endless rabbit hole, right? And I'm, if I'm really interested in it, I can spend hours and hours just digging down that hole. And then if that little reminder beeps, I'm like, oh, yes, right. And then maybe I just get up, shake my body a bit, maybe put on a song, dance around a bit, or yeah, take a couple of deep breaths. Um, all those things, all those things I think really help with bringing the habit of remembering to be in your body mm. as well. That's a great tip. Thank you, Joachim. Yeah. Mm, very welcome. I hope it works for you. Um, so it, it sounds like you're actually in a pretty good place when, you, when it comes to developing the kind of practices that help you relate to yourself, um, at least when it comes to the body, as that was what we were discussing. And I'm really curious now if there are things that are really difficult for you still as well in your relationship with yourself. Mm. Yeah, um, definitely finding time for rest, um, and just being, um, is very difficult for me. Even on the weekend when I'm not working, I, I, I have a feeling that I need to be productive. Like I just, I somehow associate my value with my productivity. And uh, productivity can be different things. If I'm doing sports, I feel productive. If I'm learning, um, I'm reading a book and it's, um, a, you know, it's nonfiction book and I'm learning something. 
I feel very productive. Uh, you know, documentaries, uh, all, all these things, they need, uh, they somehow I'm very much, yeah, the, I'm very much connected, connecting my value to productivity. And this is one thing that I'm working with uh, my coach on. And it's definitely not straightforward to, to get rid of it. And I'm joking that um, sometimes I, I confuse myself with human doing and not human being. And I would really like to, uh, to learn to be a human being sometimes as well. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. Um, I have no doubt that you will succeed. And I'm really interested though in the, um, the method that you're approaching. So you're using a coach, which is already a lot more than most people do when they identify a problem like that. Um, what kind of path is the coach using to get you there? Yeah, I think so. the 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 path uh, is basically anti so I still judge myself for for this for the, that I associate my value with with productivity. So the the main goal is to is to accept it, love myself this way, and that way you will be able to to let go of it and this thing will not control me basically because now either i you know or i am very proud that i'm so productive and that's why i'm obsessed with it or i hate it so much in either way it controls me um and the last task that he gave me was very funny was uh to exaggerate on my productivity and judge every single thing as that i do that is not productive and tell about it like and judge everybody else around me who is not being productive and tell them about it. Um, and actually, funny enough, I don't know if it's, it's a bit, uh, I don't believe because I'm a scientist, I don't believe this is connected. But after two weeks of doing this thing, I got sick last week. Um, and I, first of all, of course, I hate being sick because sick is not productive. Um, and second of all, I'm never sick. This is my, I just, I didn't get sick for I don't know how many years so I, I felt so sick and we had this, conver uh, we again had a group coaching session um, and it was very difficult for me to, um, yeah, I, I still worked, even though I was sick, I was working from the bed, uh, taking all my calls there because I could not accept that I'm, uh, I'm giving up my productivity. Wow. That's a beautiful story, Gali. Thank you. I, I must say, I kind of like that idea of reversing the pattern and instead of trying to not to criticize yourself, criticize yourself even more for not being productive. And then, yeah, it's interesting that you got sick and I don't know if there's a connection either, but I mean, you got sick, right? <laughs> so that's, that's a fact. That's really cool. Um, I wonder if you have some kind of beautiful story to tell us about a moment in which you really loved yourself or really treated yourself well when it comes to the relationship you have with yourself? Hmm. So I, I don't, I don't know if there is a single story that would stand out to me. And, uh, but actually there is one more or two more routines that, that we didn't discuss. They're not routines, but, uh, things that I, well, one of them is a routine uh, so basically one of them is um, in winter in Berlin, 
I got really depressed. It was, um, I just came back from mountain vacation and I feel very beautiful and alive in nature and in the mountains. Um, and I just went in basically January 5th, I'm back to Berlin. It's dark, it's gray. I'm working 16 hours a day, not a single day of sunshine. And it's just, I don't know, it's stressful at work. You can't, I can't see my friends. It was terrible. Um, and after three weeks of this, I just, I, I just felt very depressed and, uh, I am, I, I'm not a, I don't associate myself with being a depressed human being and I like to be happy and I don't know, energetic and run around and, uh, play. And there was just no room for play. And, uh, of course it was also impacting my relationship with my boyfriend because we are locked in together and there is no way one person can meet all your needs and, it's also not, you know, it's not his, uh, uh, his job to meet all my needs for play when everything around is just gray, dark and overwhelming. So I, uh, a friend, uh, invited me to, uh, to the secret, uh, telegram group of, it's called, uh, three dancing. Um, and now there is more than 2000 people there. And basically what happens is uh, that they meet in uh, different parks, like they post random location on random days um, and everybody downloads or, or plays the same uh, Spotify playlist that one of them prepares. And, um, and it's, yeah, and uh, basically everybody has their own headphones, so you cannot hear the music. But there is, you know, 50 people dancing in the park in winter in Berlin. Um, and from the first time I did this, I just fell in love with this activity. So I think I did it last weekend of January. And since then, and then I haven't missed a single weekend. I've been there every Saturday in Hasenheide Park. I'm dancing with a bunch of strangers that I don't know. And I feel such joy and I don't know. And I just really let myself go. And sometimes it's raining, sometimes it's snowing and sometimes it's sunshine but it's such a beautiful feeling of, of freedom, community without, uh, and, and, and joy. Yeah. Wow. I love that so much. There's so much there that plays into it as well, right? There's obviously there's the body movement, just moving your body makes you feel better. There's music. Music is a very powerful way, I think, of making ourselves feel better. But then, like you said, it's community and it's connection and you do something that is a bit crazy with other people. And the fact that you don't know them makes that even more interesting. Almost. It's like, you know, this group of strangers who suddenly agree to do the same thing at the same time. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And this is so Berlin. I mean, this is the kind of activity that I really associate that could only exist in Berlin. It feels wow. Yeah. I really like that. I think in general, also for me, dancing, as I said, or just moving my body around on some music is uh, something that really helps me navigate my relationship with myself. And I would say it's also a very powerful antidepressant. Like, you know, every time I feel a bit down, if I put on some music and I start moving, I always feel better. And so, wow, well done, Gali. I think that's a, that's a wonderful, I, th I think it shouldn't be a secret. <laughs> they should make that telegram group public or something, you know, this should be shared with everyone. That actually, that's what I was thinking that we should post a, a link to this because they do satellites as well. 
You can also do it from your home and the, and the playlist that they put, they are always only for one hour. They have a nice uh, ramp up and then high energy and ramp down. And uh, you can, uh, people celebrate their birthdays. Um, people put an Italian playlist, you know, you can see the soul of people. And I think it's a beautiful group that, that needs to be, um, that, that needs to have people from everywhere in the world and not just Berlin. Amazing. Well, I think I'm going to ask you next time you do it, let me know in secret. <laughs> I would love to join. I think that's amazing. Wow. Um, so, wow, you, you, you have a lot of practices going, right? Uh, from the gratitude to the physical practice, meditation, now also dancing. Is there anything that you would still like to add to the way you navigate your relationship with yourself to improve that relationship? Yeah, I was thinking about it. One, so it's it's really not a routine, but it's more my mindset. Um, I I grew up in a in a very strict uh, family, very loving, but also very strict and demanding. Um, and uh, when I was thinking, what is the the one thing that I would like to improve is is just be more gentle with myself and more kind with myself because I am so strict with myself. I'm so demanding. I want to, to do everything perfectly. I want to look good and I want to be healthy. And every time I can't eat, you know, I can't eat French fries unless I just do, did a two hour workout because I'll hate myself. I'll tell myself that I am a fat pig and how do I deserve doing something like this? You know, I hate uh, ice cream because I think it's unhealthy, but I love it actually. But I convince myself that I need to follow some type of standards and and uh, live up to this uh, both performance but also um, also the way how i look needs to be very you know very particular in ukrainian standards um and yeah i think uh, it's definitely not contributing to self love it's it's actually if i think about it now i almost should take the same approach as with this productivity and say you know what you don't want to be fat let's just gain 10 kilos and see how you feel And then until I accept and love myself, being fat, the, the, I, I will not be happy in, in my own body. That's absolutely true. I think the number on the scale doesn't matter for that. It's all in the mind, right? But you highlighted something else that I think... Oh, sorry, go for it. No, I, had a, I, I just had this uh, crazy realization that And it comes, it's from the society. So in Ukraine, like all this, uh, the, 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 the body, uh, the body looks are, are very much shamed. Um, and it, uh, the, one of the questions that my mom asked me when I was sick and couldn't eat for four days, well, she was very concerned and she was giving me advice of like, which pills I should take and how I should take care of myself. But then one question was, oh, you must have lost some weight. So good for you. And I just thought this is this is insane. Yeah. <laughs> How the own mother who loves me still thinks that the aspiration is is to is to reach some specific body um, shame uh, body type. Yeah, and that highlights another thing that I think is really important, and that you just mentioned, which is this relationship to your parents, right? Or let's say in a broader term, the relationship to the environment that you grew up in, that gave you the image of who you were supposed to be and that maybe told you certain things were not okay and other things were desirable, whatever it is, whether it's 
productivity, whether it's a certain mindset, whether it's a certain look. Um, and I think we had a conversation about that also on the podcast with, uh, with Rule quite extensively. Um, there is so much to explore there. And of course, there is, you know, in traditional therapy, that is something that people explore a lot, this connection to the parents, to the father, to the mother and so on. But I think there is also a lot of value in examining that from the perspective of how you relate to yourself. For me, for example, I have found that a lot of my, let's call them critical voices inside of myself, are actually projections of the voices of my primary caretakers, my mother and father, who, you know, told me things as a child, like, this is not good, this is good, this is not good. And so in my mind, I keep repeating those things. And it sounds like maybe something similar is going on with you when you think about eating ice cream or whatever it is. And then maybe you hear that voice that was put there by your mother. So then my question would be, do you have any kind of deliberate practice where you try to renegotiate with yourself what you believe about yourself in the light of what your parents made you believe? Yeah, and I actually try to renegotiate with myself, but also with my parents. <laughs> so uh, with myself... <laughs> you still have hope. Yes, and I, they, they did change a lot. They, uh, yeah, I think we, we, we've both grown a lot in our relationship. Uh, but this is a, a different topic of, uh, yeah, we can explore later, but with myself specifically. So what I do is um, at the end of the week, I always journal of how the week went. Um, at the end of the month, I journal how the month went of the review of my four weeks and then quarterly review and then yearly review. So, and I think there, it really allows me to see my patterns and to relive the emotions that I couldn't live during the, when, when they happened, either because it was too painful or I didn't reflect on it, and to really think, why, why is it so? And I, I put those questions to myself, and, I, and this is where I actually examine, you know, I got angry at somebody. Um, you know, is this the way how I want to be relating to other people? What triggered it? What was in me that led to this? What is my learning from this situation and how can I apply it next time? Yeah. And, and the same, of course, with those judgmental tones when, when I see, so for example, this week, yesterday on Sunday, I journaled, um, why, uh, can I not let myself be unproductive when I'm sick? Why am I judging myself being sick? And that's where I also explored, like, of course, the, the achievement was always highly celebrated uh, in my family. And I learned to be very rewarded myself. And now I reward myself every time that I feel I deserve it, uh, which is, which is uh, very much the, the, the case. And I, I believe that the, the first step is recognizing that pattern so that next time I come to it, I can make a conscious decision. Now I'm sick again. Last time I, I kept working. What it brought me is, and I don't know, more pain, uh, less recovery and all of that. Do I now want to do the same or not? And, and this way I can actually mm, influence. That's wonderful. And it's almost crazy to think that you can freely choose which behaviors of yourself you want to celebrate and encourage. And it's something that we almost never do. It's just something that we don't think about. We have these patterns 
and most people just accept these patterns. But we actually have the power to change that. We can decide what it is that we want to be or how it is that we want to show up to each other. Um, so, wow, it, it sounds like a really strong practice you have there of this like weekly and then monthly and then quarterly reviews. That's even more impressive than my review practice, Kali. I, I should step up my game. <laughs> uh, for those ones, I actually have reminders. So, for example, the monthly one is due uh, basically today. I'm not sure I'll make it, but it's still in my, so I have the reminder. Uh, so I will only turn it off once the monthly one is done. Mm. Well, I would suggest to practice kindness and compassion with yourself. So maybe if your deadline is not reached today, then you can give yourself permission to do it a bit later. <laughs> I think the, the practice still works if you do it that way. Wonderful. Gali, as we end this conversation, uh, I have one more question that I would traditionally like to ask, and that is if there was any question that you would have really liked to receive that I didn't ask. This is a difficult one. <laughs> hmm. I almost feel like it's not a question that I want you to ask, but it's a question that I am like this productivity question that I'm struggling with and that I want to ask you, <laughs> how do you learn to, uh, I, I don't know if you have the same with, with productivity and how do you learn to, to dissociate your value from any action or any standards that, that you want to hold yourself accountable for? That's a really good question. I am not sure I have a fully formed answer, but I can give you some of the mindset shifts that I have used for myself. I think I was forced to do this in a certain way because I went away from my original path in life. You know, I was a musician, I was a composer, and I wanted to become uh, an opera composer, basically. And then once I did that, I realized that that was not really what I was searching for anyway. You know, this drive that I had to always like go one step further was basically an illusion. It was something also instilled in me by society, this idea of like always reaching the next level somehow. And then when I had reached that pinnacle, I guess you could say, of, you know, having written an opera and then a second opera and whatever, I could not do anything else than renegotiate with myself what my value was about. Because I felt there was no more next step to reach almost. So... Instead, I had, a, I had a bit of a crisis around this and all that went on for quite a while. And I think that for me, the important thing became much more about how I relate to people and to myself. Instead of what am I creating, what am I doing? The question became, how kind am I? How am I treating people? How am I showing up to people? And then at the time, I wasn't really very aware of this yet, but that became kind of the basis of then the company that I created as I started being an entrepreneur, Victoria Designs. I intuitively kind of made the well-being of the people in that company my number one priority. And that was because already that shift had taken place in me from my value comes from doing something to 
my value is how I treat others and myself. And I realized not that long ago that that is because of an alignment of my value system. So it's all about making sure that how you perceive your self-worth, your own value, is aligned with what you actually value in the world. So if you say, you know, my values are kindness and integrity and compassion, but then you change to, I need to be productive, I need to be create things for your sense of self-worth, there's going to be a bridge there that you can't cross because that's actually not what your values are. And so I believe for me, it was getting in touch with what my values really were and then starting to live life according to those values, embodying those values and using those values as a guideline in every decision I make, basically. And then this idea of productivity completely disappeared. Mm -hmm. mm. Maybe this was a bit abstract. I wonder. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, but I love, I'm, that it made me think of, um, is productivity my value or is mm. it something like what, uh, what are those core values? And there is, there are many tests and, and, and different things that you can do to understand those core values. But I am a big believer. It's that the value is something you have because you do it. So your actions show that value. But, but maybe this is not correct. So my, my, I'm very curious to know, how did you drill down to what your real values are? That's a really interesting perspective. I, yeah, I don't think I agree with that. Your values are not necessarily what you do, because I think in a lot of cases, including mine, what I was doing was more a projection of what people around me thought was important. I was living my life very much from the perspective of how can I please others? How can I create safety for myself by making sure that other people around me feel good? Which meant that what I was doing was very often something that was aligned with their value system, not necessarily mine. So it took me a while to explore that. And I would say one of the best methods that I have found to get in touch with what you truly value is a bit morbid. <laughs> it's the idea of imagining yourself at your own funeral mm. and then writing the eulogies that other people come to tell about you. So, you know, suppose I'm dead and you are there and you come to the front and you go like, people, Joachim was a friend of mine and this is what he means to me. And then you tell the story of, you know, what, what was important to these other people in my life about me. And I find that a quite powerful method to come to, to understand what it is that I truly value. Because in that moment, when you're dead, a lot of the material things that you think are important in life don't matter so much anymore. You know, uh, how many hours of work you have done that week or how many reports you delivered or how much money you earned or which kind of car you have of, you know, all these kind of things completely fall away and you can focus on what's truly important for you, what, what you really value. And so for me, that was a lot about kindness and compassion and being seen as someone who supports others. So that's what I am doing now. 
Beautiful. Um, I actually, this made me think about the question that I want to be asked. Um, mm -hmm. It's connected to also the fear of death um, and to relating to self. Because as you know, I work in a, in a mental health startup where we are developing um, biomedical treatments uh, for different mental health diseases. Uh, and part of our portfolio, big part, is uh, psychedelic treatments. Um, and that's where basically I, I want, I don't know if I want to be asked, but I want uh, the, the scientists to research more on uh, the impact on psychedelics on our relating to self and also to the world. Um, because there are some impressive studies, uh, like, for example, uh, terminally ill cancer patients that get that diagnosis. And then they know that they will um, only have a few months uh, left to live that develop very severe anxiety. Um, and uh, there was a trial from John Hopkins University that showed that after um, a psychedelic treatment with psilocybin, so the component of magic mushroom, um, they, they had impressive results of people um, basically completely living through their fear of death and discovering the other way of looking at it and getting very inspired. So, um, and of course, I'm, uh, I'm a proponent of using psychedelics for mental health and for um, as prescription medicines, but I think they, they hold a tremendous potential for um, people both rediscovering their own relation to self, their relation to their own fears, to getting more into their subconscious, and to also um, uh, treating their patterns of rumination, like in depression and, and different, uh, yeah, uh, very, very static um, problems, basically. Hmm. Yeah, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in that area. I have quite a few friends who are working in that area and experimenting with that. That's one of the things um, I've never done. I've never taken any psychedelics in my life. Um, I've thought about it, but I guess that's not enough. Uh, and who knows, maybe at some point in my journey, I will feel that I am ready or drawn to that. But um, so far that hasn't happened yet. And meanwhile, you can consider enrolling in a clinical trial <laughs> as a healthy volunteer. Yes, yes. Maybe that's a good idea after, after COVID, you know, we can, we can maybe present even some kind of like COVID treatment through, through psychedelics um, yeah, there, in terms of like the, the mental component. Yes. Yeah, there are studies on mental resilience, uh, psychedelics for mental resilience in healthcare workers. I, I know that there were some um, proposals on it in... Uh, yeah, in uh, Boston. Beautiful. Well, whenever I feel the call, I will make sure you know, Gali. <laughs> you can put me in touch with the right people. <laughs> Wonderful. Gali, thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed having you as a guest. Um, there's one more thing I'd like to ask. Is there anything that you want to share with the audience that you think people should do or read or go to? Or can they follow you somewhere? Is there something you want to share with the people listening? Uh, yes, I I think I will I will send you the links afterwards. Um, but um, a couple of things. One was uh, I I'm really grateful for my reflection routine to Kyle, um, and I will I will share the website where people can um, can download a yearly uh, reflection guide. I personally go for a deep dive, 
takes me a couple of days. Uh, so if you're a real nerd, that's definitely for you. But there are some lighter versions, and I find it, I find that those those questions they already make you reconsider many things. So that's that's definitely uh, beautiful. Then I know you had Hanin on your podcast. So um, Sex Homework Society uh, website and course, definitely highly recommended. And uh, it was also your recommendation. So thank you for it. Um, and uh, also, um, yeah, people, people should uh, learn more about uh, psychedelic medicines. Um, so reading Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, is a great way to, to get into the field and uh, support all the nonprofits that are working very hard to to bring them. So I'll, I'll share those and also my company's website to see what the, the, the latest advancements are. Amazing. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you, Joachim. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.